The birth of a child is always a dramatic event. Those of you who have children know what I mean. Different forms of drama with different children and different parents. I remember April 5th, 1987. My wife woke up at about 6 o'clock in the morning and said, please rub my back. I thought, well, that's normal. She always asked for that throughout the pregnancy. And I put my hand on the small of her back and began to rub, and then she slapped it and said, don't touch me. We realized something was happening and rushed to the hospital, and 30 minutes after we arrived, boom, David was out of the womb. My first child, a son. I also remember November 4th, 1989, when again my wife was pregnant and she woke up at about 3 a.m. and said, something's wrong. That was even more ominous. I'll spare you the details, but something was desperately wrong. I threw my son in the back seat of the car and took him to his grandparents and drove like a maniac to the hospital. We arrived, and on that occasion, we almost lost both mother and child. Thankfully, both of them are here today. I didn't think a birth could be any more dramatic uh, the first time around. The second time around, it was even more dramatic. The birth of a child is amazing. It always holds promise, doesn't it? One of the promises you can be certain of in the birth of a child is sleeplessness, right? You know that's coming. Um, but there's lots of other promises that come with the birth of a child. And some of them are what the child might be in your imagination. You wonder, what's this child going to be? Is he or she going to be this or that or the other and you really sort of fantasize about their future. Promises are made at the beginning of births often. Um, you know that feeling, right? As a father, if you're like me, a father, you look at that tiny little baby and you promise upon promise that you'll be the best father ever, right? Um, if you're a mother and you hold that child in your arms, you know that Forever that child will be loved because you'll be the best mother ever. Th those are the kind of promises we make to ourselves and, and we entertain promises of what might be when our child is born. But on the occasion of Jesus' birth, the prophet Isaiah was called to mind by those who visited and those who wrote about Jesus' birth. And the prophet Isaiah made a prediction concerning the drama of this child. And this prediction wasn't like my prediction or my hope for imaginative prediction concerning what my children would be like. This was a prediction that actually came from God. And through the words of Isaiah, the promise or the prediction concerning this child is this. This child will be wonderful counselor. That's his name or part of his name, which means literally a wonder of a counselor. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 9 had already given us a story of Israel that was a sort of sorry story, a story of human wisdom that was pathetic, a story of human wisdom that had led them astray, a story of human wisdom like we know so well. 
And the prophet said, there is one coming who's going to be a wonderful counselor. The one who has all the wisdom of God will be with us. The one who's coming is going to be mighty God, this child. Right there you see a disparity, a child who is also a mighty God. Mighty God is an Old Testament reference that's frequently given for God himself. This child would be Almighty God. This child would be an everlasting father. The one who was before all time and the one who would always be. That's who this child would be, says the promise. And this child would be a prince of peace or the prince of peace. The one who brings peace instead of war. The one who establishes peace without force. Frequently we think of peace and we think also of war and the establishment of peace through the advent of war. But this one who is promised will establish peace without war. So what is this promised one, this Messiah? This Messiah is the one who came, and in order to understand this Messiah, you must understand that this Messiah came to save his people from their sin. In order to understand this Messiah at all, you must begin there. Because it's at the root of who Messiah is. Savior. To save his people from their sins. If you don't begin with that understanding, you will misunderstand the entire story of Christmas. You'll never get the deep meaning. I received a card a number of years ago that had a poem in it that I just loved. And the poem said it better than I could say it now, so I'll I'll read it for you. It said, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God might have sent us an economist. And if our greatest need had been entertainment, God would likely have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was for forgiveness. So God sent us a Savior. Who is this promised one? What kind of Messiah? He's a Messiah that came to save. And let's put it quite frankly. You desperately need him to save you because you can't save yourself. What a wonderful promise it is that the Messiah brings. This Messiah, he was also a Messiah who came to be with us. The words that we use so frequently at this time of the year, Emmanuel, which means God with us. The Messiah not only came to save us, the Messiah came to be God with us in the person of Jesus Christ. The incarnation continues to stun me and to stun the world. And it ought to. Because it's the greatest miracle of all. There are a lot of miracles in the Bible. You know many of them. I mean, the parting of the Red Sea. That was incredible. But why not? 
God was the creator of the universe. It was small potatoes for him. Or how about when Jesus calmed the sea just with a word? Remarkable, but why not? He's the creator of the universe, the heavens and the earth. Or how about the resurrection? Incredible miracle. But honestly, completely predictable. Why? Because we know that sin is the thing that causes death. We've known it from the beginning of the Genesis story. It's sin that causes death. So it stands to reason that the Son of God, who knew no sin, could not be held by death. My friends, it's miraculous, but it's just automatic. But the incarnation? Ah, that's different. See, all the miracles I've just mentioned and, and all the rest in the Old and the New Testament, they point to the power and the almighty nature of God. And this miracle? It does the exact opposite. It points to weakness and human frailty that God should become a man that is impossible. How could God become a man and be confined to time and space? How could God look like that little baby boy that came into my world on April 5th, 1987? But God did. That's a real miracle. God with us. I love the way St. Augustine put it. He just couldn't get over it himself. And so he penned these words. Maker of the sun, he's made under the sun. In the Father, he remains always eternal. But from his mother, he goes forth. Creator of heaven and earth, he was born under heaven. Unspeakably wise, he is wisely speechless. Filling the world, he lies in a manger. Ruler of the stars, he nurses at his mother's bosom. He is both great in the nature of God and small in the form of a servant. Who was this Messiah? He was the one who came to save. He was the one who came to be with us. And finally, who is this Messiah? He is the one who continues, continues to be with us. You know why we celebrate every year this wonderful scene of the nativity? Not just because it happened. That's true, it did. The reason we celebrate it is because in the person of Christ, God is 
still with us. That's the profound nature of the incarnation. That God once was with us in bodily form. And through the power of the Spirit, God continues to be with us. Or to put it in the words of Paul, because He's with us, we together are the body of Christ in the world. That too's a miracle. He continues to be with us. You know what the evidence of His presence is? The Christ continues to turn rebels into devoted followers. Were you one of those? The Apostle Paul was. I know I was. A rebel, now a follower. He continues to be with us because he transforms the unrighteous into the righteous. He continues to be with us because he creates followers from every tribe and nation as he promised to do. He continues to be with us and he replaces, oh, I love this. He replaces sorrow over sin with absolute eternal joy. That's what our text tells us today. And finally, he's continually with us because we see it all the time. He removes the yoke of sin and gives us freedom to walk with him. That's the incarnation. And the incarnation is not over. It continues to be with us in the presence of Christ. Let me put it another way. Because of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, God promises to be born again in our hearts by faith. I, I want to conclude actually with a prayer. I'll pray after the prayer, but I want to read the prayer. I just think the prayer is beautiful. It's by Frederick Buechner. He says, Son of the Most High, Prince of Peace, be born into our world again. Wherever there is war in this world, wherever there is pain, wherever there is loneliness, wherever there is no hope, come, long-expected one, with healing in your wings. Holy child, whom the shepherds and kings and beasts adore, be born again. Wherever there is boredom, wherever there is fear or fear of failure, wherever there is temptation too strong to resist, wherever there is bitterness of heart, come, thou blessed one, with healing in your wings. We started out by giving a promise. Here's a promise. Wherever you are, if you pray a prayer like that, come Lord Jesus, please come to my heart. He will. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful for the historical reality.
of your birth. But we're also very grateful for the present reality of your presence with us. We thank you that you demonstrated in the person of Jesus Christ that the God who was almighty was also the God that loved. That the God who was judge was also the God who was redeemer. That the God who was almighty and out there and beyond complete understanding is the God who is our friend. So I pray today, Lord, that you will bring the God that is out there down here to us once again by faith. That those of us who have have followed you for years will enter into the mystery and find deep joy. And that those of us who have never taken that step of faith to follow you as our Lord would, would do it today. And that this Christmas season would mark the coming of Jesus Christ in a, in a new way for them. Not just historical, but personal. We thank you, Lord, that if we ask, you promised to give us eternal life. That makes us eternally grateful. And we thank you for it. In the name of Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.